Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's voice and live life through the lens of Scripture. The Bible in a Year podcast is brought to you by Ascension. Using the Great Adventure Bible timeline, we'll read all the way from Genesis to Revelation, discovering how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. It is day 308. We are reading 2 Maccabees chapter 11, as well as Wisdom chapter 11 and chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 25, verses 8 through 10. As always, the Bible translation I'm reading from is the Revised Standard Version, 2nd Catholic Edition. I'm using the Great Adventure Bible from Ascension. If you want to download your own Bible in a Year reading plan, you can visit ascensionpress.com slash Bible in a Year because you do have about a page and a half left. So, you know, it's not too late to uh, get in on the on the action and on the on the show. You can also subscribe to this podcast by clicking on subscribe and receiving daily episodes and daily updates. And it is today, day 308. We're reading 2 Maccabees chapter 11, wisdom 11 and 12, Proverbs 25, verses 8 through 10. The second book of the Maccabees, chapter 11. Lysias besieges Betzur. Very soon after this, Lysias, the king's guardian and kinsman, who was in charge of the government, being vexed at what had happened, gathered about 80,000 men and all his cavalry and came against the Jews. He intended to make the city a home for Greeks, and to levy tribute on the temple as he did on the sacred places of the other nations, and to put up the high priesthood for sale every year. He took no account whatever of the power of God, but was elated with his ten thousands of infantry and his thousands of cavalry and his eighty elephants. Invading Judea, he approached Betzur, which was a fortified place about five leagues from Jerusalem, and pressed it hard. When Maccabeus and his men got word that Lysias was besieging the strongholds, they and all the people, with lamentations and tears, begged the Lord to send a good angel to save Israel. Maccabeus himself was the first to take up arms, and he urged the others to risk their lives with him to aid their brethren. Then they eagerly rushed off together, and there, while they were still near Jerusalem, a horseman appeared at their head clothed in white and brandishing weapons of gold. And they all together praised the merciful God, and were strengthened in heart, ready to assail not only men, but the wildest beasts or walls of iron. They advanced in battle order, having their heavenly ally, for the Lord had mercy on them. They hurled themselves like lions against the enemy and slew 11,000 of them and 1,600 horsemen and forced all the rest to flee. Most of them got away stripped and wounded, and Lysias himself escaped by disgraceful flight. And as he was not without intelligence, he pondered over the defeat which had befallen him and realized that the Hebrews were invincible because the mighty God fought on their side. So he sent to them and persuaded them to settle everything on just terms, promising that he would persuade the king, constraining him to be their friend. Maccabeus, having regard for the common good, agreed to all that Lysias urged. For the king granted every request in behalf of the Jews which Maccabeus delivered to Lysias in writing. The letter written to the Jews by Lysias was to this effect. Lysias, to the people of the Jews, greeting. John and Absalom, who were sent by you, have delivered your signed communication and have asked about the matters indicated therein. I have informed the king of everything that needed to be brought before him, and he has agreed to what was possible. If you will maintain your goodwill toward the government, I will endeavor for the future to help promote your welfare. And concerning these matters and their details, I have ordered these men and my representatives to confer with you. Farewell. The 148th year, Dioscorinthius 24. The king's letter ran thus. King Antiochus, to his brother Lysias, greeting. Now that our father has gone on to the gods, we desire that the subjects of the kingdom be undisturbed in caring for their own affairs. We have heard that the Jews do not consent to our father's change to Greek customs, but prefer their own way of living, and ask that their own customs be allowed them. 
Accordingly, since we choose that this nation also be free from disturbance, our decision is that their temple be restored to them and that they live according to the customs of their ancestors. You will do well, therefore, to send word to them and give them pledges of friendship so that they may know our policy and be of good cheer and go on happily in the conduct of their own affairs. To the nation, the king's letter was as follows. King Antiochus, to the Senate of the Jews and to the other Jews, greeting. If you are well, it is as we desire. We also are in good health. Menelaus has informed us that you wish to return home and look after your own affairs. Therefore, those who go home by the thirtieth day of Xanthicus will have our pledge of friendship and full permission for the Jews to enjoy their own food and laws just as formerly, and none of them shall be molested in any way for what he may have done in ignorance. And I have also sent Menelaus to encourage you. Farewell. The 148th year, Xanthicus 15th. The Romans also sent them a letter which read thus, Quintus Memmius and Titus Manius, envoys of the Romans, to the people of the Jews, greeting. With regard to what Lysias, the kinsman of the king, has granted you, we also give consent. But as to the matters which he decided are to be referred to the king, as soon as you have considered them, send someone promptly, so that we may make proposals appropriate for you, for we are on our way to Antioch. Therefore, make haste and send some men, so that we may have your judgment. Farewell. The 148th year, Xanthicus 15th. The Wisdom of Solomon, Chapter 11 Wisdom prospered their works by the hand of a holy prophet. They journeyed through an uninhabited wilderness and pitched their tents in untrodden places. They withstood their enemies and fought off their foes. When they thirsted, they called upon you, and water was given them out of flinty rock and slaking of thirst from hard stone. For through the very things by which their enemies were punished, they themselves received benefit in their need. Instead of the fountain of an ever-flowing river, stirred up and defiled with blood in rebuke for the decree to slay the infants, you gave them abundant water unexpectedly, showing by their thirst at that time how you punished their enemies. For when they were tried, though they were being disciplined in mercy, they learned how the ungodly were tormented when judged in wrath. For you tested them as a father does in warning, but you examined the ungodly as a stern king does in condemnation. Whether absent or present, they were equally distressed, for a twofold grief possessed them and a groaning at the memory of what had occurred. For when they heard that through their own punishments the righteous had received benefit, they perceived it was the Lord's doing. For though they had mockingly rejected him, who long before had been cast out and exposed, at the end of the events they marveled at him, for their thirst was not like that of the righteous. In return for their foolish and wicked thoughts, which led them astray to worship irrational serpents and worthless animals, you sent upon them a multitude of irrational creatures to punish them, that they might learn that one is punished by the very things by which he sins. For your all-powerful hand, which created the world out of formless matter, did not lack the means to send upon them a multitude of bears or bold lions or newly created unknown beasts full of rage, or such as breathe out fiery breath or belch forth a thick pall of smoke or flash terrible sparks from their eyes. Not only could their damage exterminate men, but the mere sight of them could kill by fright. Even apart from these, men could fall at a single breath when pursued by justice and scattered by the breath of your power. But you have arranged all things by measure and number and weight. For it is always in your power to show great strength. And who can withstand the might of your arm? 
because the whole world before you is like a speck that tips the scales and like a drop of morning dew that falls upon the ground. But you are merciful to all, for you can do all things and you overlook men's sins that they may repent. For you love all things that exist and you loathe none of the things which you have made, for you would not have made anything if you had hated it. How would anything have endured if you had not willed it? Or how would anything not called forth by you have been preserved? You spare all things, for they are yours, O Lord, who love the living. Chapter 12 For your immortal spirit is in all things. Therefore, you correct little by little those who trespass, and remind and warn them of the things wherein they sin, that they may be freed from wickedness, and put their trust in you, O Lord. Those who dwelt of old in your holy land, you hated for their detestable practices, their works of sorcery and unholy rites, their merciless slaughter of children, and their sacrificial feasting on human flesh and blood. These initiates, from the midst of a heathen cult, these parents who murder helpless lives, you wanted to destroy by the hands of our fathers, that the land most precious of all to you might receive a worthy colony of the servants of God. But even these you spared, since they were but men and sent wasps as forerunners of your army to destroy them little by little, though you are not unable to give the ungodly into the hands of the righteous in battle or to destroy them at one blow by dread wild beasts or your stern word. But judging them little by little, you gave them a chance to repent, though you were not unaware that their origin was evil and their wickedness inborn and that their way of thinking would never change. For they were an accursed race from the beginning. And it was not through fear of anyone that you left them unpunished for their sins. For who will say, what have you done? Or who will resist your judgment? Who will accurse you for the destruction of nations which you made? Or who will come before you to plead as an advocate for unrighteous men? For neither is there any God besides you whose care is for all men to whom you should prove that you have not judged unjustly. Nor can any king or monarch confront you about those whom you have punished you are righteous and rule all things righteously, deeming an alien to your power to condemn him who does not deserve to be punished. For your strength is the source of righteousness and your sovereignty over all causes you to spare all. For you show your strength when men doubt the completeness of your power and rebuke any insolence among those who know it. You who are sovereign in strength judge with mildness and with great forbearance you govern us for you have power to act whenever you choose. Through such works you have taught your people that the righteous man must be kind, and you have filled your sons with good hope because you give repentance for sins. For if you punished with such great care and indulgence the enemies of your servants and those deserving of death, granting them time and opportunity to give up their wickedness, with what strictness you have judged your sons to whose fathers you gave oaths and covenants full of good promises. So, while chastening us, you scourge our enemies ten thousand times more, so that we may meditate upon your goodness when we judge, and when we are judged, we may expect mercy. Therefore, those who in folly of life lived unrighteously, you tormented through their own abominations. For they went far astray on the paths of error, accepting as gods those animals which even their enemies despised. They were deceived like foolish infants. Therefore, as to thoughtless children, you sent your judgment to mock them. But those who have not heeded the warning of light rebukes will experience the deserved judgment of God. For when in their suffering they became incensed at those creatures which they had thought to be gods being punished by means of them, 
they saw and recognized as the true God, him whom they had before refused to know. Therefore, the utmost condemnation came upon them. The book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verses 8 through 10. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not disclose another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. Father in heaven, we give you praise. We thank you so much, Lord God. The prayers that we just lift up today, we ask that you please hear the cries of our hearts. You know our pain and you know our suffering. You know our longing and you know our desperation. We are so often so desperate in this life. And we know that you hear us. We know that you care. And so, Lord God, on behalf of every every person who cries out desperately today, I ask you to please um, not only hear their prayers, because we know you hear their prayers, but let them know. <laughs> let them know that you hear their voice. You know their pain. You know their grief. You know their desperation. And be with them now. Be with us now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit given to us that fills us and guides us and gives us courage to take another step today. Help us to take another step today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So <laughs> what a gift. Holy smokes. So again, Second Maccabees chapter 11, more history as well as God's intervention in the ways of the world. Isaiah, the king's guardian and kinsman, right? So King Antiochus, he thinks he's going to put the hammer down on the Jews. And what does he realize? He doesn't realize that Maccabeus means hammer. So <laughs> joke's on you, Lysias. And here's what happens. Judas Maccabeus, once again, here's the Lord who reveals his presence, reveals his action in the lives of the people of Israel who are defending their land. And what do we have in chapter 11, verse 8? Well, they're still near Jerusalem and Maccabeus is praying and rousing everyone up to fight. They see that there is a horseman appear at their head, clothed in white and brandishing weapons of gold. And they all together praised the merciful God and were strengthened in heart, ready to assail not only men, but the wildest beasts or walls of iron. They advanced in battle order, etc., etc. Ah, this is important. Here's what happens. God shows up and he's present. And then the people also have to fight. They have a, what's described in verse 10 as a heavenly ally for the Lord had mercy upon them but they hurled themselves like lions against the enemy. Now, there's an element here where we just are, it's good for us to be reminded constantly, of course, of the Lord's presence and the Lord's action, right? The Lord's love for us and that he is there, even when we don't see that vision of, you know, a horseman clothed in white and brandishing weapons of gold, but he's present. We keep saying this again and again because Second Maccabees reveals it again and again. But one of the things that happens as well is here is the Lord's warrior and then the warriors of Israel are called upon to fight, right? So that sense of uh, it's not okay. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm going to let go of. The, I'm going to let go of the steering wheel and just whatever happens. It's Lord, help me in this moment. I'm going to steer the car. Uh, Lord, help us at this moment. We're going to take up arms and hurl ourselves like lions against the enemy. There's something so important today. As you and I are thrust into the day, as, as we're launched into today, we know that God is present and we know that God, please help us to do your will. That's been our prayer this whole time because we just, we don't want to miss God's will. We don't want to get it wrong. But at the same time, 
God expects us. God is going to move, but God expects us to move as well. God is is there as here's this as our ally, but then that also means that we have to be His ally. You know how many times in the Gospels does Jesus say something to the effect of, um, like in Matthew twenty five, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. In Matthew twenty five, Jesus makes that claims make, makes that that case so clearly. And one of the things that reveals to us is we get to be the hands and feet of the Lord. That yes, he absolutely is present. And yes, he absolutely is calling us to act in this world. And so again, as we launch into this day, whatever time of day you're listening to these words, the word of God, um, to be able to say, okay, God, you're present, you're active, help me to help me to be present to you and help me to be active in your name. So Second Maccabees chapter 11, also in Wisdom of Solomon chapter 11, there's, hopefully you are just getting as much grace from this book as I am. There are so many things. Let's just highlight two things today, or maybe three. Um, we have 11, chapter 11, verse 10, and it's talking about God, how good God is. So it says, you know, when it says you, it's talking about the Lord God. And it says in verse 10, for you tested them as a father does in warning, but you examined the ungodly as a stern king does in condemnation. So here is uh, the people of Israel. Here's the Lord God who's in covenant with them, right? So he is their God. They are his people. And us in, as Christians, he is our father. We are his children. Verse 10, you tested them as a father does in warning, but you examine the ungodly, again, those foreign nations, as a stern king does in condemnation. And there's two ways, again, we can see God coming to us. We can see two ways we can see God approaching us. And one is that as that, that father, does in warning that he tests us. He 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 want he doesn't want us to fail. He doesn't want us to fall. He doesn't want us uh, to be crushed. He wants us to become strong. He wants us to become faithful. And so we're tested as a father does in warning versus the you know examining the ungodly as a stern king does in condemnation. And it goes on to say in verses fifteen and sixteen, it says that in return for their foolish and wicked thoughts, which led them astray to worship irrational serpents and worthless animals. You sent upon them a multitude of irrational creatures to punish them. What is that a reference to? I believe that's a reference to their wandering in the wilderness when the people were punished for, by their grumbling against the Lord, by being bitten by seraph serpents. That sense of here they are in bitterness, here they are in resentment, here they are in complaint, and the Lord God allowed them. Yes, to, I mean, this is really interesting. I don't know if we mentioned this way back when, when we were going through Numbers and Deuteronomy, and we had that story of the seraph serpents that had bit a number of the people of Israel. But one thing is, the reality, I remember hearing someone point this out, it wasn't that God created serpents to come upon the people of Israel to bite them. It was that they were already there, but God had been protecting them. God had been holding those serpents back. And then you know, when they grumbled against him, because I don't want to belong to you, Lord, I don't want to trust you, Lord, then God allowed to say, okay, well, in that case, I am going to remove my withholding of the serpents. <laughs> Does that make sense? And again, I don't know if we talked about this, you know, last earlier this year or how many days ago it was, but there's an element there that is so powerful to realize how many dangers the Lord keeps from us on a daily basis, on a moment to moment basis. Anyways, as it talks about this, verse 16 is the key verse. Again, in the end of verse 15, you sent upon them a multitude of irrational creatures to punish them. Here's the verse, that they might learn that one is punished by the very things by which he sins. That is, if that's not wisdom, I don't, I, go, man, oh man. They may learn that one is punished by the very things by which he sins. 
How many times have we reached out to something that was a sin, the thing that we thought this will give me a momentary joy, this will give me momentary happiness, and yet we realize that we are punished by the very things through which we sin. Um, It comes back to us because it's not good for us. The reason why God prohibits these things is not because they're really actually awesome and God doesn't want us to experience awesomeness. No, it's because they're not good for us. And yet, what does God do? This is the theme here in, in chapter 11 and chapter 12 and following that is God calls us back. And the, the verse, the phrase, I mean, that he uses again and again in Wisdom of Solomon is little by little, that God calls them back little by little. Even, even in chapter 12, verse eight, it says, but even these you spared, those who had done horrible things, even these you spared since they were but men and sent wasps as forerunners of your army to destroy them little by little. You could have destroyed them completely at any given moment, but you didn't. In verse 10, it says, by judging them little by little, you gave them a chance to repent. Again, this theme, this idea, this truth, that God, you correct little by little those who trespass. This is actually chapter 12, verse two. Therefore, you correct little by little those who trespass and remind and warn them of the things wherein they sin that they may be freed from their wickedness and put their trust in you, O Lord. I just, I marvel. I marvel at how many times God has been so patient with me. How many times God has been so patient with us that he corrects us little by little rather than just destroying us immediately. Why does he do this? That we might learn how to put our trust in him. Man, you guys, uh, we can't do this on our own. As we know, we know this. We get reminded of it every single day. And so we need God's grace. We need each other. And once again, I just want to invite you know, more and more as we're coming to the end of these 365 days, it's not like we can't keep going. Of course, we can make another round trip around the sun here with each other. But one of the things I keep being reminded of is the community. And I keep saying this almost every day now, I guess, is that we are journeying with people who are in the highs of life and the lows of life. And so we need, we need, absolutely need to pray for each other. Please, know that you're being prayed for. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. My name is Father Mike. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless.